Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Roland Mitchell has been mightily used of God all across the country for many, many years. This message was preached on the campus of Union Bible College in Westfield, Indiana in 2006. He titles this wonderful sermon, The Little Lunch. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. Thank you so much, Brother Whitaker. I almost wanted to ask the trio if they want to come up and sing with us. That can work both ways, you know. We have enjoyed being with you, and I uh, I appreciate the school here, and I sense a uh, just a sweetness amongst the students, and I appreciate their support and their kindness during this time. And uh, we also say hello to everyone who may be listening somewhere else tonight. I understand we're audio streaming during these services. We have no idea who may sign on and listen tonight, and I want to say a hello to them as well. Let's stand together tonight. Turn with us to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. This very possibly will be the most important message that I will preach during this meeting. If you hear that I have preached this again somewhere, I want you to believe it, because I'm going to. Some time ago, the Lord gave me a message, and he said, preach this everywhere you go. And for one solid year, I preached it in every meeting where I went, because God told me to. And I think this is going to be another one of those. Recently, I was in a little Wesleyan Holiness Home Mission Church, a storefront. And I was sitting behind the pulpit. There is no platform. There isn't room for one. And I was sitting there that morning, and the Lord said to me very plainly, turn to Matthew chapter 14 and preach from verse 14 and following. I hadn't even opened up my Bible. I had no idea what it was. I had three minutes to get ready. And the Lord gave me this message. And this afternoon, I thought it might be a good idea if I wrote some of it down. And so the ink isn't even dry yet. But I believe that God has something here for us tonight. Matthew 14. And I want to begin here tonight with verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. 
And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they all, they did all eat and were filled. They took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And I want to preach from this thought tonight. What can Jesus do with one little boy's lunch? Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight and we're so desirous of your help. We need you tonight. Our people need you. These students need you. The staff need you. And Lord, we're coming tonight as a very unworthy servant. And we just have a little lunch with us tonight. We just got a little lunch in a basket. But we need Jesus to break it up and, uh, and to hand it back to us so that we could deliver it out to the people tonight. May you come and help us. May you stand by us. We've never learned to preach much on our own. We depend upon Thee. May Thy will be done, and we'll praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All four of the Gospels record this miracle. Truly, this miracle is a hallmark of the ministry and work of Jesus Christ. In the opening of this chapter, we find some very sad news. John the Baptist has been beheaded. It was all over jealousy. He's been beheaded. It's a sad time. And when Jesus receives the news, he heads to the desert to go apart. And verse 13 tells us that while Jesus has gone by ship, the people begin to take the long route around on foot. They're in the desert. They're coming to the desert and they've come because they want to see Jesus. It's the only reason. The Bible tells us here in verse 13 and following, Jesus went forth and he saw this great multitude and he was moved with compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is the ability to put yourself in someone else's situation. Compassion is a mover. It says here that Jesus was moved with compassion. 
And I want to say to you tonight, we need a fresh baptism of compassion in our days. Compassion will get you moving. We read in verse 14 that Jesus has been doing some healing in their midst. And what is going on now? In verse 15, we read here that it is evening. What are the disciples saying now? The disciples have something to say to Jesus on this evening. And here's what they're saying, first of all. Jesus, this is a desert place. What is a desert anyway? Webster says it's a vast, dry expanse often devoid of vegetation and utterly desolate. And so tonight I want to remind you of where they were. They were out in the middle of nowhere. There was nowhere to buy anything. There was nowhere to go and get anything. It was a desert. And I want to remind you tonight that a desert is dry and devoid and desolate. And I want to say to you, it almost describes a lot of the places that some of you are going to be called to work in. It describes some of our camp meetings. It describes some of our churches. It describes our conferences. Folks, I want you to know, as far as spiritual things go, we're living in a desert tonight. And it can become an excuse for us. You know, we're just like the disciples. We like to explain to Jesus what our place of ministry is like. Our little church is on the wrong side of the tracks. It's a little cement block affair. It's in a bad neighborhood. You have to tromp across the platform to the restroom. Hello, I've been there. You think somebody's coming to the altar and they're tromping across the platform to go to the bathroom. They've had a lot of trouble here, Lord. We've had a split here. We had a preacher that went bad. We've had a layman that went wrong. There's been a problem. Our best people have moved away. The church is in disrepair. The parsonage is in bad shape. We've got an oil heater that makes a rattle when it comes on. We've got an air conditioner that drowns out the speaker when it kicks on. Hello? This is a desert place. It becomes part of our resume. You see, we have a resume tonight. It's our resume of excuses as to why we're not able to do anything where we are. What else is in their resume tonight? Verse 15 says this. This is a desert place, and the time is now past. The Greek New Testament says the time is already gone by. The second excuse in our resume is simply this. It would have been better earlier. We could have had a better revival when we had more people when the church had more money, when we more were more influential, when we had children, when we had young people, when we had a better-looking sanctuary, 
back when things didn't matter as much as they do now, back when the neighborhood was better than it is now. Oh, this used to be a good neighborhood, and now it's not. Oh, back when we used to have this, when we used to have that, when the glory used to be on, oh, we could have really done something, but now we can't do anything here because the time's passed. I just want to inform some of you tonight that if you take that attitude, you'll never get anywhere because the times in a lot of our churches have been better than they are tonight. The attendance board used to look a lot better than it does tonight. And in a lot of places, the attendance board is gone. About everywhere I go now, you see a, you see a spot on the wall in the shape of an attendance board. It used to hang there because they used to be proud of their attendance. They wanted to know how many they were having. They wanted to know how many they were ministering to. It was exciting. But when things go in reverse, people quit caring how many are there. We need to get back to the place tonight that we have an excitement about how many we're having. And if you don't, you need to get that way. The time isn't good. You know, we spend so much time reminiscing. I, I'm just like the rest of you. I, except you kids, of course. You know what magazines I get? Reminisce, the good old days. Reminisce extra. You know what's going on when you start doing that? You know, um, I love the old days when you used to have a full house on Sunday night to preach to. I love the old days when the young people used to come up from the young people's meeting in the basement shouting. I love the good old days when you could hang out a shingle saying you have revival and you have sinners in every night in the older line. I love the days when the glory was on and people shouted their way through. I love those days. And I, I focus on them a lot. But folks, I want us to understand tonight that the past may have been glorious, and the present may not look too well, but the time is now. Our Christ is the Jesus of now. He was the Christ of the yesterday year, and He is the power that's available now. Jesus Christ is relevant in the now. They say, no, it's, it's too late. They're saying this to the fellow that would later bring Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead a number of days. They're saying this to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's too late. You know, I drove past one church four times before I recognized it was a church. I've been sent there by my district leader to preach, and I drove by it four times. I thought it was a root beer stand. didn't get that, did you? That's what it looked like. looked like somebody boarded up an A&W. Made a church out of it. You know, sometimes we look at a thing and we think, whoa, it's too late. It's too late. But with Jesus, it's never too late. Never too late. Let's go on with their excuse resume. 
Their excuse resume is followed by their suggestions. Jesus, we've looked this little pastorate over. And here's what we suggest. Verse 15. Send the multitude away. Send them off to the village. Send them to meet their own need by any way that they can. What are the disciples saying here? They're saying, Jesus, the need is too great. The job is too big. They're speaking to the Creator. They're speaking to the second person of the Trinity. The desire of all the ages. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Root of David. And they're saying the need is just too great. You know what Jesus wanted them to say? Jesus wanted them to say, Jesus, it looks impossible, but you can do it. What's your plan? But they are so overwhelmed by the vastness of the need, they've decided to check out. They've decided to dismiss themselves. What good would it do to try to help a crowd like this? They're overwhelmed by the vastness of the need. They're overwhelmed by the dryness of the place. They're overwhelmed by the lateness of the hour. Listen, people, the needs of our present day are alarming and overwhelming. Relationships that have gone awry. Addictions to tobacco, alcohol, drugs, and sex. The breakdown of the home and family. Homosexuality. Divorce. Remarriage. Mental issues. Depression. Financial stress. Psychological issues. Incest. Crime. This is the overwhelming multitude that we are facing. And you young people, you are here at Bible school. You have a call from up on your heart. God is preparing you, and you're going to face the greatest multitude of issues you've ever faced. But we want to dismiss ourselves. We don't want to deal with the issues. You see, in many cases today, we're still trying to meet the needs of a modern generation with outmoded ideas. I was somewhere not long ago, and they're still having the penny march. When they introduced the penny march, a penny would buy something. It's worthless now. You know they're worthless when they have them in a cup at the gas station to give you. You know, I've been seeing quarters, dimes, and nickels in that free cup, too. Our change isn't worth much, and a dollar isn't worth much. We need to step up to the plate and realize that we are facing issues 
that the church has never faced before. And we're going to have to brace up. We're going to have to prepare ourselves by the help of God to reach people in this century. What's Jesus say to this whole business? Verse 16. Jesus said, They need not depart. Don't send them away. That is my cry to you tonight. The cry of Jesus. I know that we're going to have to have biblical answers for people when they come to us in their brokenness. When they come to us in their bereavement and their sadness with their addictions and their mixed up lives and their homosexual tendencies and their divorces and remarriages, we're going to have to have something to offer this generation because Jesus said, don't you dare send them away. The command of Jesus is ringing true tonight. And that command is still the same. Give ye them to eat. Too many of our holiness preachers are spending much time with shears in their hands. You need to shear the sheep every once in a while. I know that. I was raised on the farm. I used to raise sheep. But you don't shear the sheep but about once a year. But you feed them every day. Young people, I admonish you tonight. Girls, if you're preaching, get your little Bible in your hand and preach the truth. I hope we have some girls here that have a ministerial desire. And you boys, don't just hobnob on standards, high heels. Dark colors. I don't know what you preach on nowadays. Some people, if they can't, they can find the VCR and the internet and high heels and colored holes and Christmas trees and hairspray and dogs in the house in almost any scripture you pick up. Jesus is crying here. He wants his disciples to get in business. He wants them to feed these people. The cry across our movement today is whatever happened to God-anointed Bible preaching. And I challenge you people who are ministerial students, I challenge you when you go out to feed people, give them something that they won't have indigestion on, be reaching for the spiritual tums all night long. Give them something that they can put some meat on their bones with. God help us. This generation needs some people who rise up in the face of what seems to be the greatest odds. For you see, the difference between the church and the world is greater than it's ever been. When I was a little boy in school... My teacher prayed for us every day when we went to lunch, and it was public school. I went to public school, and my teacher prayed for us before we went to lunch. She prayed for us before we got on the bus. 
they invited ministers to come at Thanksgiving, Easter, and Christmas and preach to the student body. The teachers wore dresses. The girls in my class wore dresses. And the boys wore long pants. I remember the first kid that showed up in shorts at school. They laughed him to scorn, called him a sissy, and his mama had to come and pick him up, take him home, and change him into big boy pants. I remember when J.C. Penney was closed on Sunday. I remember when there was nowhere to buy anything except the gas station or maybe a while a grocery store or a drugstore. I remember when Sunday was a holy day and not a holiday. I remember when hardly any home had a television. I remember when young ladies had the long hair and the boys had the short hair. Now I'm seeing boys with beautiful long hair carrying purses. It's true. I haven't lived very long, but I've seen a lot of change in my life. The world used to look like the church, really. There was a lot of difference. But now the vast gulf between the world and the church is so desperately wide. Give you them to eat. What are you going to give them? The message. We're supposed to feed people. That's our job. That's our command. The multitude is hungry. And Jesus has given you a command, young people. He says, I want you to feed the multitude. We can't line people up until we've got them to Jesus. And then he's going to do the majority of the lining up. Oh, I know, we set boundaries. I lived on the farm. We had electric fence. One night I had an Angora sweater on. I don't suppose any of you even know what that is. My mother got me a big old hairy Angora sweater. I was playing hide-and-seek at my cousin's house. They had a dairy farm, too. We played hide-and-hide-and-seek in the dark. That was what we loved better than anything. We'd do it before we'd eat. One night, I was running to hunt, and I got wound up in a barbed wire electric fence with an Angora sweater on. I mean to tell you, I was turned every which way but loose. I knew where the boundary was. But my father, after we had the cows trained where the boundary was, he just turned the juice off for a while. They'd been there before. They'd touched that thing before. Cows are smart. They're smarter than people. But when Dad would go to the auction and buy a few new cows, he'd kick on the juice to let the new ones know where the boundary was. Preachers, that's the way we ought to operate. Every once in a while, turn on the juice. <laughs> I had an old preacher tell me one time, George Dunnington. He said, Brother Mitchell, about every six weeks, he said, I lay my crowd out. He said, they need it, they deserve it, and they expect it. Then he said, I'll go back to putting feed in the trough again. Pretty good advice. I've tried it. We came through a generation that knew how to set the boundary, but they didn't know how to love people. 
They didn't know how to feed the flock once they got them in. And I trust and pray that this generation, it's going to be different with you boys and you girls. I trust we're going to learn how to feed people up good. And when we get them fed up, then God the Holy Ghost can begin to line them up with the help of His Holy Word. I don't want to throw away our standard. If I did, I'd be a million miles from UBC tonight. But I'm telling you one thing I've found through the years. We need a wonderful and whole imbalance of feeding the sheep and sharing the sheep. And God help us to know when the difference is. It's our job to feed the sheep. Jesus has commended it. What do they say to that? Boy, these disciples, have they have more excuses than Carter has liver pills. Look at verse 17. And they say, you see, we just got done hearing what Jesus has said. Now we have to go back to these dry sticks. But they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. What are they saying? Our resources are slim. We don't have what it takes, Jesus. Some of you here may feel you don't have what it takes. You're timid and you're poor. And you have family issues and struggles. And you may feel like you don't have much natural ability. You may feel like your talents are few. Told you all four Gospels tell this story. Let's look at it from Mark's point of view a second. Mark 6. You heard about the fellows, the blind men. They took them all to see the elephants. One of them grabbed a hold of the elephant's trunk. He came back. The teacher said, well, what did you think of the elephant? Well, really, he's more like a snake than anything else. One of them grabbed a hold of, grabbed a hold of his tail. The teacher said to him, what do you think about him? He said, well, really, he said, I don't agree with this brother over here. He said, I really think, more or less, the elephant's just like a rope. Another one grabbed the elephant around the leg. He got back. He said, I don't know what these guys saw. You know, they're all blind. He said, but to me, the elephant's more like a tree than anything. <laughs> the other guy got up, see, he says, I don't know about these guys. He said, he grabbed a hold of the elephant's ear. He said, really, the elephant is more like a giant pancake than anything I ever saw. Another one grabbed his tusk. He said, I... I don't know where these guys are getting all this, but I hope all of you believe me when I tell you that the elephant's just like a spear. You see, all these disciples were at this same thing, and all of them heard one little thing here different, one little thing there different. And Mark has something to say tonight that I, I don't want to bypass. Notice what he says here in chapter 6 and verse 38. He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. Now go back to Matthew again. I want you to catch that. What do you have, Jesus says? <laughs> 
they, they, they shrug their shoulders and all. He says, well, go and see. I want you young people tonight to look in your heart of hearts and see what you've got to offer Jesus Christ. What do you have? You're not at Union Bible College to have just to have fun. I know you do. You did till 2 o'clock this morning. You were having a great time, and I'm glad for you. I just turned my noisemaker up loud and drowned you right out. Yeah, I was listening to old-time radio. Told you, it goes in with reminisce, good old days. You're having a great time here. Some of you will get married probably. You'll find a beautiful girl from this crowd over here. Praise God, somebody said. Take inventory, young people. What do you have to offer Jesus? Go and see. Take inventory of yourself. Search your heart of hearts. And when they knew, they replied, What do you have? Let's talk about what we do have. Let's not focus on things you can't do. I can't play the piano. I, I play the accordion, though, just like Brady Duran taught me with a one-two-three method. And I play for my own entertainment. And if I get to a church and there's nobody there that can play anything, I break the accordion out and play for offering. I'm not hiding my talent. But people have to be desperate before I get that one out. I've got it, but I, I just play that card when I'm in trouble. I can't work on cars. I watch Mike Weaver, and I'm amazed at what that boy can do. He, I called him one day and said, my lawnmower won't start, Doc. I've messed with it all afternoon. He came to my house in two minutes. He had me running. I'm amazed by that. I can't do that. I can't do the things that Brother Glick does. I watch all of this, and I see all of this and all this, and I think, wonder what all that really means. I, I watch the kids, and they're not even looking at him half the time. Is it just something people do? Is it part of the show? I don't know. I was up one night leading the singing in a big way and waving my hand all around. And Brother Tyler came to me after the service. He said, Brother Mitchell, who taught you conducting? I said, nobody did. He said, well, I can tell. He's my dear friend. He can tell me truth about myself. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Well, I've backed off on that big time. I may keep time a little bit, but I'm not trying to conduct anymore. I figured I don't know how to do it. And yet, isn't it amazing that almost every year at ICHA preachers meeting, they want me to lead this singing, and I don't even know how. I don't understand that. Jesus said, don't talk about what you can't do. Let's talk about what we've got. When I, when I was a young preacher, I may preach a little bit tonight. I, I've been bottled up all week. You all just kept me in stitches, not knowing where I was going to preach or not. 
Only had 20 minutes last night. I'm just raring to go tonight. Now you're groaning, aren't you? focus is simply this. Jesus says, I want to know what we've got. I don't want you to talk about what we don't have. One old preacher told me when I was young, I know where I was at. Oh man, I started in, I got up the first night. Here's how preachers do. I've been evangelist now for quite a while. I've been in 28 states since Christmas. Here's how it goes. Well, we're really missing several of our people tonight. Said so and so's in the hospital, and and so and so's gone to be with their daughter, who's expecting a child, and and he goes through this huge list. I'm thinking, wow, they must have 200 people here on Sunday when everybody gets here. I was doing that one time. I was a young preacher. I had this old seasoned evangelist with me, and I got up. And I wanted him to know I really did have people. Sometimes. And when he got up, he looked to me and he said, Brother Mitchell, he said, let's just work with who we've got, all right? You know, that just kind of hit me. It's not like a good idea. We can't work with the people we don't have. So don't preach at them all till you run them off. Okay. You can't work with people you chase off. you gone anyway. Well, they go out through the crowd, you know. Anybody got anything to eat? You got any, can- got any candy bars in your pocket? Got any Doritos? Got a Pepsi? What do you got? Anybody got anything? There's 5,000 people at this place. I mean, it's slim pickings. John tells us about it in John 6. John 6, 9. Let's go over and see what somebody else has to say about the elephant. John 6, verse 9. There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. Mm. These aren't great big loaves of bread like we get at Walmart. They're pancake-type, coarse, barley-type cakes that have been baked probably so long ago that they're now more like a big cracker than anything else. And this isn't a great big fish that's been freshly caught and just broiled over a delicious fire with big hunks of white meat. It's probably some little old nasty things that look a lot like maybe sardines. They've been fixed some way so they won't go completely rotten before they're consumed, but don't wait too long. Let me tell you something. That is just about all some of us have got to offer Jesus. But Halder Lilliness, the man that gave us Lilliness Publishing Company, that's now part of Nazarene Publishing House, where you get your music for your choir, every time you open that book up, you remember that he was an immigrant boy that didn't have much hope to make good. But he was at a camp meeting in northwestern United States, and God, the Holy Ghost, got a hold of his heart. 
And he said, about the only thing I could do worth anything was sing. God began to give him talent to lead the singing. Talk to Brother Tyler and tell him you need help. Have him show you what to do. Talk to Brother Glick and Brother Oberdorf. If you feel you got a little child, you're even a little bit thinking you might be able to do something for Jesus, do it. John and Bona Fleming split up once. They were great holiness preachers. And went one way, one went the other. They met back together. John said, Bona, we had the greatest meeting. I mean, the altar was lying. Everything's going on. People shouted. We had a great time. How'd you do, Boney? Boney Fleming said, oh, didn't do no good. A little old dry meeting. Just had one little boy at the altar, and he had his knees sticking through his jeans. Who was it? Dr. Gene Phillips, who became one of the old Nazarene greats that used to grace the platform of, of camp meetings when I was a boy and preach under such anointing and Holy Ghost fire that hundreds would be motivated to the owner. I watched him do it. I've been with him in nights of prayer. At one time, all he had in his lunchbox was a couple of little fish and a few pieces of bread. But God made a preacher out of him. Dr. R.T. Williams, who became general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, go over here to the bookstore, go up here to the library and find his life story and read it. It's amazing what God did with a young man who brought his little lunch to Jesus. One day I showed up at the Church of the Nazarene. I'll never forget the day that we walked in the door. I was a little ball-headed farm boy. On prayer meeting night, I wore a T-shirt to prayer meeting. Imagine that. I had much in my lunchbox. I couldn't sing, really. I was so timid and shy. I had really not much talent at all. I used to hope I could preach. I used to stand on the picnic table on Sunday afternoon and preach to the trees. I got a good start preaching to wood, and it's been that way ever since. Everywhere I go, there's empty wooden seats looking at me. God says, you're right home. That's how you started out. Didn't have much. I didn't get to go to college like some of you boys. I hope you appreciate the fact you've got a college here. I didn't get to go. I was married and had a child before I was called to the ministry. Really fully. I've always believed I was called, but I never really got a grasp on it. I didn't have anybody to press me forward because I really think they didn't have anything in my, that I didn't have anything in my lunchbox. I really think that's why that I wasn't pressed because no one saw any potential in me. I remember the first time I tried to sing in a little home mission Nazarene church in Lake City, Iowa. Somebody put a hymn on my hand and pushed me to the front, and I stood next to an old, old upright piano, 
and sang in a timid little voice that was more like a squeaky door than anything else. Page 170, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me died on Calvary. I didn't have anybody to push me to the front. Nobody thought I'd make a preacher, really. I was short. When I was in high school, a senior, I was only 5'5". Five five. I was accused often of being a sixth grader, was often pulled over in the car, thinking I was a child that escaped with his parents' car. I wanted to go to Olivet Nazarene College, down deep in my heart. I wanted to do something for God. But nobody pressed me. Nobody encouraged me. And one night, at an old-fashioned camp meeting over, God said to me, when are you going to do what I've asked you to do? <laughs> and I told God that I'd preach. I told my dad to pastor the First Church of Nazarene in Madison, Indiana. We had a beautiful new church. I said, Dad, I think I've got a call to preach. He said, son, you better know. He'd been telling me that for 10 years. I said, Dad, without a doubt, I've got to preach. All right. He didn't say good, glad, nothing, just all right. My dad's a man of few words. He's a good man. Man of few words. Wednesday night. My father got up, no, Sunday night, he got up in the pulpit. He said, we're going to begin a weekend meeting Friday night. Everybody looked up. The board members looked up. 125 people looked right up to the pulpit. They were all shocked. They didn't know we had a meeting schedule. I was shocked. I was a preacher's boy. I didn't know we had a meeting schedule. He said, my son Rollin is going to be the evangelist. People went, He said he feels like God's calling to preach. And he and Deborah will be doing the singing. She went, she could only play one song on the piano. He touched me in five class. It was the only piece she knew for years. Friday night I got up and everybody in that whole country heard I was going to preach. And there were 250 people there. I had the littlest lunch you ever saw. But 35 people came to the altar that night. I called my district superintendent, Reverend John F. Hay, the brother of Terry Hay. I said, Brother Hay, this is Roland Mitchell. He said, Who? I said, Roland Mitchell, Max's boy. Oh, he said, Roland, what can I do for you? I said, I believe I've got a call to preach. He said, have you told your dad? He's shocked. I said, yeah. He said, what did he say? I said, well, he had me preach at a weekend meeting. He said, well, how'd you do? And I said, well, I got by all right. But I said, you know, I, I want you to enroll me in the course of studying. He said, I'll do better than that. He said, I'll put you in Preacher Training Institute. The Nazarene's had a school here in Indianapolis. 
at First Church of the Nazarene every Monday night. They brought in learned men to teach the boys that weren't in college. And, buddy, he signed me up, and I went every Monday night, and they piled me down with homework. I had to learn the 66 books of the Bible. I had, learned, had to learn everything in the whole world. I couldn't believe what all you had to do to be a preacher. I didn't know what all was going on. In February, he called me again. He said, Roland, he said, I got a little broken down home mission church. It's about to close. He said, I can't find anybody on the district to go Wednesday night and cheer them up. He said, I happen to think about you. Could you go up and see what you can do with them Wednesday night? I said, yes, I'll go. I was so happy I couldn't stand it. Got up there and there's six people there. Great big old blizzard blowing. Six people showed up. And I preached, and the next day they called me and said, we'd like for you to come be our pastor. I laughed. I said, I don't even have any preacher's license yet. I said, I only got three messages, and you've done heard one of them. And here's what this gentleman said. He's going to heaven now. Boys, I want you to remember this. He said, Brother Mitchell, do you think you could bring us just one at a time like the one you brought Wednesday night? I said, well, yeah, I think I can do it. He said, then you're in, boy. The district superintendent called me. He said, Rollin, he said, you're not ready to pastor. I said, I know it, Brother Hay. He said, you don't have any education. I said, I know. He said, you don't even have a license. I said, I know. He said, well, go ahead and go. He said, that place has been split three times and it's almost dead and you can't hurt it. Go on. And he sent me a license in the mail the next week. And on the bottom I said, you better have some books done by assembly. That's these exact words. I still got the letter. I just had a little lunch. I didn't know what I was going to do. My wife became the pianist of the church. Have you ever... Could you ever imagine singing every song in the hymnal in five flats? It gets tough. She had a little lunch. I had a little lunch. And that Easter, we had 115 in Sunday school. Hallelujah. He dropped his fork. I was next to the DS. At his own breakfast, somehow I got next to him. He looked over at me and said, Rowan, how did you do yesterday, the day after Easter? I said, I had 115. He dropped his fork. He said, wait a minute now, let me get this. Greensburg had 115. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, what about the Easter offering? I said, it was a record, Brother A, over $700. He said, wow. I went to my next little church. Boys, don't wait for a big first church to call you. Don't you even consider that. Go somewhere where there's nothing at. The worst thing you can find, get yourself down there and make something out of yourself. The next place, I met 21 people the first Sunday, broken down church in Parsonage. They offered to take me out to eat on Sunday after I preached. We were going to the Lost Fork. It was some kind of big steak place. I said, man, I don't eat on Sunday. Out. <laughs> she looked at him and said, is it wrong? 
I said, well, from where I come from, it is. Only in Annapolis District it is. But before I left there, I was preaching to 80 every Sunday night and had seen in a six-week period 21 brand-new adults pray through and stick by me. I just want to tell you, you may not think you've got much to offer God. I was terrified as I went into the evangelistic field. I pastored 21 years. What would it be to preach every night and have to have the mind of God every night? I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know if I would get any calls. No one knew me. But this year we slated 46 weeks out of 52. I've been in 28 states since Christmas. And here in the world, what in the world am I doing at Union Bible College? Brother, whatever his name is. Used to be president here. I can see his picture back there. England. He called me and asked me to come to Alleyne College. I said, brother, he said, I want you to lecture. Huh. I'm so scared, I don't know what to do. I got a letter the other day, and up in the corner it said, the office of the IHC. I thought they were wanting me to give them an offering. I didn't even open it for two days. I almost threw it away. I didn't have any money right then. I thought, well, I better open this and see what's going on. said, Dear Brother Mitchell, the, the committee of the IHC has asked if you'll speak at the 2007 IHC in Dayton, Ohio. I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, they're going to give me that 10-minute thing, you know. Get up and tell all you can tell them 10 minutes. But I found out it's to be Wednesday morning in the main service. And I, I, I tell you, if you only knew the little lunch that I had, if you only knew the little fish that's in my box, if you only knew what God is trying to do with an uneducated boy. But I want you to know, boys, I've done all I can do with my little lunch. I've read over 2,000 books. I read five books a week. I have books by my chair, by my bed, sometimes even by the table. I've read the life of PFRZ 11 times and starting in 12, and I keep him under the bed. And my wife said to somebody, have you ever known what it's like to have to go to bed with PFRZ under the bed every night? You got in there. It looks insignificant. It looks inadequate. It looks unappealing. But the command of Jesus in Matthew 14, 18 is bring them hither to me. Young people, bring your talents to Jesus. Jesus commands the multitudes to sit down. Why? He's about to have a sit-down meal in the middle of the desert with a little boy's lunch. He takes the loaves and fishes. You see, he's been handed them by the disciples. 
The disciple hands him these, and as he does, he says, What are these among so many? What does Jesus do? He takes the loaves and fishes. And young people, this is where ministry begins. He takes the loaves and fishes. This is where the divine Christ, who sits at the right hand of power, takes your little lunch. You better study. We've got too many preachers that are getting their messages off the Internet. I can always tell it. You merge about five documents. You can hit all kinds of buttons and bring up everything. Throw that computer in the garbage. Get you a book. Sweat over it, little dad. Underline in it. You can't underline. Yeah, you can. What if that thing crashes? Some of you would be in trouble. What if somebody robs your... Nobody's ever robbing my messages... They can't break in on my computer and get my messages. They're not on one. All these computer hackers, you boys get a good message, and all the kids in your class will be preaching it everywhere. They'll hack into your computer and get your good message. You preach time or two, and when you get to church and preach it, they'll think you copied off that other boy. Get in your study. If you've only got three books, get all three of them out. Books are your friends. And it's always good for a man to have a lot of friends. And Jesus took this little lunch. This is what happens when you put your little message in the back of your Bible. Where you have, you have toil and sweat. Don't you play basketball all afternoon and grab some old stale thing and head off to represent Union Bible College. Don't you dare. Jesus took that little lunch, looked up to heaven, begins to bless it. I can always tell when Jesus has got my lunch in his hands and when he doesn't. He begins to break it. Then the scripture says in verse 19, Matthew 14, He blessed and break, and one writer says, and gave thanks, and gave the loaves to the disciples. What's he do? He takes your little lunch. He breaks it up. He blesses it. He multiplies it and hands it right back to you. Does his method we give our little fish and loaves to Jesus and when he gives it back to us, it's just exactly what we need. It's what our people need. He gave the disciples. And what did the disciples do? They gave it to the multitude. When Jesus is breaking the bread, something wonderful is forthcoming. You can say amen if you want to. I know you're getting tired, but listen, some of you have two this morning shouting and having a great time. Stay with me. 
I, I don't, I'm not going to hear the take click off tonight, Brother Russell. Some churches I'm at the take clicks off. Oh, I'm in trouble. Everybody knows I've gone 45 minutes. I've rather gone an hour. I don't even care. Don't even care. We're delivering what we've just received back from God. You won't do it in five minutes looking through a computer program trying to dredge up some dead thing. You'll do it in your study alone with God on your knees. See, you're part of a team. Our captain is the king of kings and lord of lords. You're talking about having a great team leader. And there is never a lack when Jesus is breaking the bread. You remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They didn't even know who he was. They get in the house. Jesus starts breaking the bread. I don't know what goes on. All at once, bread just starts piling up on the table. They say, whoa, we've seen this before. This is Jesus. Boom, he's gone. Nobody breaks bread like Jesus. What happens? Verse 20, they all did eat. The multitude is eating. And who's doing the feeding? It's us. The disciples become the waiters that day. I understand some of you work in restaurants. That's wonderful. I want to come to where you're at. I want you to wait on me. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to leave you a nice tip. There are 5,000 men here besides women and children, the scriptures tell us. The, the people that write the commentaries are fairly wise. Wouldn't you agree? One thing most of them agree on about this account is, without a doubt, there was probably 10,000 people there. Divide that by 12. Every disciple gets to be the waiter for 830 people. That is a peak night crowd at ICHA camp. We have between 900 and 1,000 on good nights at our camp meeting. Can you imagine, Brother Smart... Being the waiter for 830 people to give them bread and fish. <laughs> the cry from the crowd is, more fish! Peter, more bread! John, fish. It's the all-you-can-eat fish bar. It, may, it makes Captain D's all-you-can-eat night look sick. And you boys are going to be the waiters, and you girls are going to be the waitresses. Jesus is breaking the bread. He's handing it right back to you young people and saying, feed the crowd. Hallelujah. More bread. Okay, there's plenty. Don't worry. There's plenty, don't worry. If you get one good message, there's another one somewhere. You haven't preached everything in the Bible. You think you have. Some of you try. Preach all the way from Genesis to Revelation and take 12 minutes. You say, Lord, what am I going to do now? Preach everything in the Bible. 
I've been there. Verse 20 says, what? They were all filled. Jesus Christ is the fullness. The trademark of Christ is fullness. He said in one place, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. God doesn't like empty churches. Fullness is a trademark. He told the men at the wedding, he said, fill those jars to the brim. Jesus, his trademark and hallmark is fullness. He had enough to fill every need in that great multitude. In a desert, when the time was past, when everyone was weary. I want you to know in this late hour, our Jesus can take your little lunch and fill the people you minister to with the bread of heaven. And then Jesus said, the disciples are exhausted. Can you imagine? 830 people to each one. One. Can you imagine how many baskets, how they came back to get more fish? How many times they passed out the barley cakes? How tired and exhausted they were. Listen, I worked in the kitchen, the general camp one day, and I had to go to bed and miss the rest of the camp. They get back up to the table. They're bedraggled. Jesus says, well, we're not done. Go back up and see if there's any leftovers. Here, take these baskets. The Greek says something like this. They all took a handled basket. I don't know what that means. Two handles, three handles, one handle. I don't know how big it was, but they all had one. Where did they get it? I don't know. Don't care. They had it. And they're going out, and there's anybody had anything left? Boy, here comes the fish down the row, head gone. Here comes the tail. Here comes about half of a barley cake. Here comes the big old hog, got three fish and two extra cakes, couldn't eat them. Just like a good Chinese bar. You see people wasting all kinds of stuff. There's a waster in every crowd. They're passing all this stuff back down. The disciples show back up in front of Jesus. They've all got a basket and they're all full. And I can hear Jesus that, did anybody else want anything? No. Belching. Did everyone get pilled? All in favor say, aye. Any opposed, same sign. Nobody says anything. You're dismissed. Disciples look at each other, sweat running down their brow. They're all holding a basket full after they fed 10,000 people so they couldn't eat another bite. You know what I say to that? Don't you ever tell Jesus that what you don't have is enough, or what you have isn't enough. He'll teach you. These disciples never forgot this. Shake hands and be friendly. God bless you. I don't want to take for granted the heritage.
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. So